This is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast on which we rewatch very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. Today, we are looking at designing women again. This episode is called Julia Drives Over the First Amendment. Kind of a clunky title. Kind of a clunky title. Uh, season 3, episode 22, first aired May 22nd, 1989, and was written by Pamela Norris, which ushers us right into You Wrote What? You, 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 you Wrote What? Troop Beverly Hills. Yeah, and she was on SNL in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in like six, season six to season 10 or so. Wow, Troop Beverly Hills. Yeah, that takes you back, right? That's a great, well. I feel like it's, I haven't watched it since I guess mm-hmm. I was a kid. It's probably, there's some probably problematic moments in there. There probably are, but I don't remember anything off the top of my head that thinking back on it now, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that wouldn't fly. Yeah. Like, you know, I I remember watching Monster Squad as a kid, and then I watched it again. And I'm like, oh, no. no. <laughs> this is now misguided. You can watch all of Designing Women on Hulu. Yay. <laughs> so this is also the season three finale, this episode. Yeah, weird one to go out on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about that here in a second. Yeah, before we do that, let's uh, talk about, we have some very... Tragic snack-related news. <laughs> tragic. This just in. Tragic snack-related news. You know that we on this show love our Trader Joe's snacks. Yeah, for real. Trader Joe's is the. It's really the kingdom of snacks. When you go in sure. there, I know there is produce. People do buy things like I don't know. I buy coffee there. Yeah. Sure. But mostly it's for the snacks. Yeah. Very sad news. Joe Colomb, who founded Trader Joe's, died this week at the age of eighty-nine. Equal Parts Gourmet Shop, Discount Warehouse, and Tiki Trading Post, to quote the New York Times, his stores caught on in Southern California and eventually beyond. The original Trader Joe's is up in Pasadena, not far from here. I can't say enough about Trader Joe's snacks being delicious and also them treating their workers super, super, super well. I know from having friends who have worked there at different points and also, not to start this podcast on a super down note, but... Right after we moved to this neighborhood, the Trader Joe's that we go to in Silver Lake, there was a shooting, a hostage situation, a whole thing. An employee died, and the company just immediately took such good care of the rest of the employees. We're not going to dwell on this, but Joe Colomb, you lived a great life. You made a lot of people happy. You proved that companies that treat their workers with respect can also be profitable. Yep. So here's to you. We snack in your honor. Were you going to crinkle the the wrapper of snacks in his honor? Yeah, today. Seven times. Today is the Joe Colombe Memorial Snack Time Hour. Oh no! And he's actually dead. Dead. Yeah. Wow. Who knew that was going to come back around? That aged like milk. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Oh God. Okay, so. But maybe it aged like some soy milk, which is actually good for a long time. Which is much longer shelf life. Which you can get at Trader Joe's. Peanut butter filled pretzel nuggets with no salt on the pretzel. This is what we're eating today from Trader Joe's. That's the full title. You made it sound like (laughs) (laughs) you got angry at the end with no salt on the pretzel. I just wondered because I looked for salt on the pretzel and I didn't find. And I was like, 
well, if you're not going to give me both options, why give me one? But um, I'm sure they'll be delicious. Let's tr- let's try them out. Tag team back again. Check it, direct it, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise. DC's in the house, jump, jump, rejoice. There's a party over here, a party over there. Wave your hands in the air, shake the dairy, yeah. These three words when you get in the saying, whoa, that is Hitman. Very solid. I mean, you definitely want to drink something while you eat this. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is like a good airplane snack. This is a thing that you could take with you, and it wouldn't spill, and it wouldn't get mushed, and it would, like, be filling. Yeah. One note, could have used some salt. <sighs> I mean, it's got to be out there, right? It is. No, I've gotten that before. All right. I just couldn't find it. All right. Well, maybe That's try harder me. next That's time. That's on me. Yeah. I'm sorry that I sullied the name of Trader Joe's, even <laughs> even momentarily. Even momentarily. Uh, all right. Let's talk about a goddamn episode of television. Let's do it. So, this is going to be a really hard one for me. All right. Because I just sort of blanket statement agree with everything that the sugar baker women agree with. Sure. And uh, I am. Um, I heard is a some real- direct quote between you and Delta Burke in this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what that it was. might as well just be you. But let me tell you a little bit about the show, because we've only covered it once before on the podcast. It ran for 163 episodes, seven seasons between 1986 and 1993. It was created, of course, by Linda Bloodworth Thomason. The show is about four independent women and their handyman, or he starts off as their handyman, becomes eventually a full partner in the firm, running a design firm called Sugar Baker & Associates in Atlanta. It was announced like a year and a half ago that Sony was going to do a reboot with Linda Bloodworth Thomason at the helm. And then I haven't heard anything about that since. So I hope that's still happening. This show was super popular with women. It was super popular with Southerners. The theme song is a jazzy version of Ray Charles's Georgia On My Mind. It originally starred Dixie Carter as Julia Sugarbaker, president of the design firm, Delta Burke as Suzanne Sugarbaker, Julia's ex-beauty queen sister and the design firm's silent partner, Annie Potts as head designer Mary Jo Shively, and Jean Smart as office manager Charlene Frazier. Misach Taylor played uh, Anthony, who starts off as the firm's handyman and eventually becomes a full partner and a lawyer. Uh, Julia is liberal, outspoken, and intellectual. Suzanne, her sister, is flashy and self-obsessed. They're constantly fighting. Mm -hmm. Mary Jo uh, is a pragmatic single mother. She's always kind of trying to, like, insert logic into these fights and charlene is sweet and a little bit naive and all of these characteristics are like on full display in this episode they really all kind of double down on their personalities they they often are talking about each other and their core like personality traits like boy that julia sure is liberal and outspoken huh yeah the show was definitely a sitcom, but it never shied away from tackling controversial topics like homophobia, racism, AIDS, hostile societal attitudes toward the overweight, and even spousal abuse. Mm. So that's where we're starting off. Um, that's the ordinary world of designing women. In an ordinary world. I want to point out one thing about the credits. Uh, speaking of, of the credits, uh, I want to point out one thing in the credits that made me laugh. So the 
Credits are, as you said, a jazzy version of Georgia on my mind. And then it's got pictures of each of the characters. Mm -hmm. And beside these, framed pictures Mm -hmm. as though they were on a side table or something. And then next to those are a a symbol of Southern elegance and a symble of hard work, mm-hmm. uh, a mm-hmm. T-square and a flower, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But there's one shot where it's it's white gloves and a box cutter, and I wrote down, a clue! <laughs> 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 because it looks like there's a murder mystery afoot. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be me such chalers, or that's supposed to be like the handyman's thing. I did I did the same thing. The box, that box cutter comes out of nowhere. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's... <laughs> What's lying underneath the surface of designing women? What are their designs? Um, that's all I have to say about the credits, though. That's it. It was fine. Other than that. I, it always makes me think of, like, you know, as a person who tries to... I guess TV and plays are a little different in this way. But, like, with plays, I try to create something that doesn't feel set in a particular specific year. Like, yeah. maybe in a... With technology changing so fast, it's kind of hard. But... Uh, try to keep hyper-specific things out. So it's like, oh, this is generally set in the 90s or something, you know? I guess with TV, it's hard. And usually the thing that pinpoints the exact time of a TV show is the credit sequence. It's just like, this is the most 80s. And the colors, the style of the picture frames, the style Mm -hmm. of the photographs, the style of the song, like everything about it tells you exactly the time period. Not on purpose, just because at the time it was like, this will get people jazzed up. Sure. And if not that, then the abundance of shoulder pads. Oh, so many. Every outfit every outfit is like designed with a linebacker in mind. Yeah, pastel shoulder pads, uh-huh. huge buttons straight down the front. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it because I know we're both going to have a lot to say about sure. this particular episode. So okay. the first thing we need to point out is that Anthony has a caffeine pill addiction. He is in full Jesse Spano he mode. Truly. It truly like, is. And he's using it to study. And I'm like, uh, For an uh, exam. Yeah. 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 And he wants to be able to do it all. And this came He's first. He's so excited. <laughs> so really, Jesse Spano is in full Anthony mode. Oh, my God. Because this was first. Oof. We've, we've, we've really turned the whole trope on its head. Yep. He's all hopped up on caffeine pills. Anthony, Anthony's backstory, very quickly, is that he grew up in a very uh, weird family situation. He didn't have a lot of home support. And then he ran with a bad crowd. And ended up involved in a robbery, even though he wasn't responsible. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong right. time. Then he ends up in prison for a while. So all of that leads up to him not finishing school. Right. So he is, at this point in season three, enrolled in Kennesaw Junior College. And he is studying for his exams. And he is super excited. Uh, and it's the caffeine pills talking, but also his own motivation. He wants to be, like, the best guy with the best grades. He's working full-time and studying and in school full-time. Right. And, like, he's really going for it. So good for Anthony. Good for you, Anthony. I hope that the pills don't crash. I hope I hope you're able to also, you know, dance around on a small trampoline later if you want to do that. Yeah. Unlike Jesse, he actually gets shit done on these caffeine pills, apparently. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> he, he makes it happen. This, uh, Designing Women, I think this will be the, the second episode I ever watched because I'm just watching it for this uh, podcast. It's real. Um, I don't find it. It's going to sound like I find this um, not great, but it's got a real meandering style of of plot development, Mm -hmm. which I actually kind of like. It's just people like talking and then eventually they'll get to the point. Yeah. And this is also kind of the way it's introduced. You think, oh, this is our B plot. 
But it only comes up once again in one more scene, and then that's all we get this episode. But the way the show is structured, like, Anthony's education is a running plot through the entire thing. So it's more like we're checking in on the C-plot of the season, in a way. It it feels like that, and then it feels like the the rest of the time is simply devoted to the the A-plot. But I remember in the last episode, there was that second act... We need to figure out a term for this because it's come up a few times where your second act is just a short play that somebody yeah. wrote, um, August Wilson's second act. Yeah, it's like a Beef Wellington type situation. What does that mean? Well, you know, a Beef Wellington is like a steak, but it's wrapped inside of pate uh, or foie gras or something. And that's like wrapped that. inside of like that. Um, paste, puff pastry. So like you just get the meats all in the middle. Yeah. And then it's like pastry and stuff. So Beef Wellington second act (laughs) is what we're going to call it. Good luck keeping up with those terminology, dear listener. We're doing our best. Food based. What podcast do you listen to? We are Brandon's Butt, Beef Wellington, (laughs) Y'all Fuck Dracula. Uh, Those are our big three. We're going to need, someone needs to start a wiki for this podcast. Thank you. A huggy wiki. Call to adventure, ladies and gentlemen. Start a wiki. Learnopedia. Learnopedia, don't hit the button, Miles. It's not our real call to adventure. Okay. So <laughs> You were gonna hit a button. So <laughs> Miles, if you don't know, is just crouched over a soundboard, <laughs> like ready to like tippity tap. Coiled like a spring. So all of the women are supportive and encouraging, but Suzanne does rag on Anthony a little bit about the fact that he hasn't done laundry in a while. Um, and he's like, yeah, because I'm working full time and I'm studying. And Suzanne and Anthony have sort of a prickly relationship through the entire series. But by the end of the show, they're basically best friends. Oh, that's good. Because yeah. it feels like that was uh, – it, it. Suzanne's character feels like would be a, a natural like – well, she disapproves of, of not like, no, this isn't a, a racial issue, but just like someone of his, you know, oh, he's got a bad past. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm she constantly make... refers to him yeah. as being an ex-con. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it feels like that's the way to, to, to do this. Yeah. It's, it sets up a funny dynamic. But by, the, by, the, by season seven, they're best, bestest friends. So the thing that has happened at the top of this episode that has sickened the ordinary world of designing women is that a newsstand has gone up outside the design offices of Sugar Baker and Associates. Right. At first, the women were excited. Charlene loves to keep up with celebrity gossip magazines, and Mary Jo um, likes to buy all the design magazines because in the 80s and 90s, there was truly a magazine for absolutely every You'd thought be... that anyone ever had. Well, go to a Barnes & Noble. There still is somehow yeah. a magazine for anything you could possibly think of. Yep. So, but both women, both Mary Jo and Charlene say they are distressed by the amount of pornography that the sand stills. There's a whole section of pornography. Um, and Mary Jo herself accidentally bought a copy of Jugs, thinking it was a magazine devoted to porcelain and pottery. Lord. And then she says in her Annie Potts way, imagine my surprise. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah, it's a it's a weird phenomenon now. I know that there's a there's a newsstand down the street from me um, on Santa Monica mm-hmm. that it's a it's a newsstand. Can you imagine such a thing in Los Angeles? It's weird. There's one down the street. No, because that implies that someone is commuting somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like on public transportation. And it's in the middle of nowhere. This is just a sidewalk in front of like mm-hmm. a CVS, and it's like who would ever yeah. go here? But you know, always stocked. Uh, full of uh, plenty of jugs and jugs alternatives. <laughs> um, so this is a big scandal for everybody. I, they start discussing pornographic magazines, and there's a really 
weird moment here. Um, yeah, right. You know, I what I'm was gonna about. look it up to see if it was real, and I, then I was like, I'm not actually. Don't worry Google about that. it, kiddo, because oh, this guy's on the no. case. Okay, so what's happened is that they're all talking about. They're t- actually talking about this. They're talking about how specific these magazines are, specifically the porn right. magazines, which it should be. Well, I feel like I should note now because we're gonna talk a lot about this newsstand. Um, for those of you who didn't grow up buying your pornography in uh, stores. Or finding it in the woods. <laughs> um, these magazines, when they're displayed at a newsstand or in a bookstore, they're, bla- they're, black- they're blacked out. They're like yeah. black bars on the now, plastic is that, covering. Did you did you happen to look up when that became a thing? Because I know... I didn't. I'm, but I'm, I'm assuming maybe. at this point in time yeah. it is because the thing they're actually upset about most is that there's a big poster for one of the magazines. Right. It's not the, the, not the magazines themselves on the yeah. shelf. It, it, they, I think they would have brought that up if it's like, well, they're just right out there in the open anybody can see him i don't think yeah. i think you have to put up like some sort of something yeah um so they're going through the various buns this jugs that hooters whatnot and anthony says that there is uh, a magazine called stump uh which uh is uh, it, it's it's women amputees yeah it's it's amputee porn um and i was like surely that's not well, here's Real. the here's someone in the audience. Yeah. Went, oh, there's a disappointed groan <laughs> Very from the audience. Loudly. Somebody's like, oh, like a loud. It sounded like a man. It did. Being it very like, disappointed in Stump Magazine's existence. Yes. Or just disappointed in the fact that this show is going to talk about it for a, a brief moment. Mm. So uh, as is my want, I, I looked up uh, whether or not Stump Magazine exists. Uh, take it from me, dear listener. You don't need to do this. And you certainly shouldn't look up if uh, amputee porn exists. I kind of knew it did. And guess what? Still on the rise. Oh, my God. But here's the... here's the, But is Stump Magazine no, real? No, Stump Magazine That's is a not title. a real title. But it did lead me down a... Because Jugs brief... is a real title. Is it, Chelsea? It is. They've talked well, about it on Sex and the City. Okay. <laughs> so... And your subscription. Well, I have let my, let my subscription lapse recently. Listen, I've, but... <laughs> I've, I've been out there. Your coffee table is just jugs central. I can't. It's the carbon footprint of the paper that I can, Now I'm just, an, I have the online oh. subscription to jugs now. J-O-L. So. <laughs> jugs online. <laughs> you a J-O-L girl? Um, <laughs> stupid. That was just dumb. Uh, so, uh, but it did lead me down a very brief jazz research uh, rabbit hole. Excellent. Uh, I've... <laughs> When when you look up uh, Stump Magazine, when you look up amputee porn, if you're lucky, the first hit you'll get is about a porn actress named Long Jean Silver. Okay, sure. Okay. So Long Jean Silver... Uh, is missing a leg, I'm guessing. Missing a leg. Operated in the uh, 50s and 60s uh, as one of the first uh, amputee pornography actresses oh. of her time. And she was actually arrested uh, along with uh, former actress, and was she the one that ran for office? Uh, Annie Sprinkles. Oh, okay. Uh, for for lewd acts that were considered too obscene. They were arrested okay. for filming pornography that had to do with her uh, amputated leg. They were arrested just for filming it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Who reported on that is my next question. Annie Sprinkle and Silver were once arrested in Rhode Island for producing a magazine that featured a shoot in which things happened. Uh, The typesetter that the magazine hired Mm. turned out to be an undercover police officer. Hmm? 
The police officer, the police surveilled them for a month before arresting the group. Multiple obscenity and sodomy-related felony charges were brought against Silver and Sprinkle, all of which were eventually dropped. Good, because I, I want to talk uh, a lot about where the law comes down on issues of obscenity. This, yes. Because this, uh, I feel like this episode doesn't do a great job of this actually painting an it, accurate picture. gets it wrong in some points. So I did a lot of research about this. That's good. I have, um, uh, you'll do research. I'll just do straight outrage. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, so this newsstand sells a bunch of different kinds of pornography, but the thing that the women are most upset about is that there is a big poster in front of the newsstand uh, that depicts a woman in rubber underwear and a dog collar and chains. Um, sort of like it sounds uh, like some sort of bondage sure. fetish looking yeah. thing. And Charlene says, I don't want to look at a woman in rubber underwear first thing in the morning unless it is Madonna and there's an important news story attached, which I thought was pretty funny. Suzanne already knows they're never going to hear the end of this from Julia. Yeah. Julia's not there yet, but she says when Julia sees that poster, she is going to rant and rave and we'll have to pretend like we care. Uh Um, Julia's rants, of course, by the end of season three now are legendary. A hallmark of the series. It's what people tune in for to hear her get righteously outraged about X thing and just cut people people to smithereens verbally. So Mary Jo says, Julia feels very passionate about the issue of pornography. And if she has an opinion about something she sees, you can bet it will be rational and intelligent. So of course that sets up the crash to adventure. The crash to adventure. Yes. Crash. Boom. (laughs) The next thing we hear is the sound of a car skidding and running into something outside. And all of the women and Anthony look alarmed. They run outside and now we're at the newsstand and we find Julia has run over the pornographic poster with her car. And she says, we no longer have a problem. But this is a running gag. When we see her, she is spelling her last name for the newsstand owner. The aggrieved newsman. Yes. I'm sorry. I... Realize I just assumed this and did not actually... Did she run into the newsstand, though? No, it doesn't look like she okay. has. It looks like she's stopped... She's rolled over the poster, which is probably, like, on the edge of the sidewalk. Sure. And then the newsstand set back a little ways. So it doesn't look like she's actually okay. hurt any of the uh, news. To be fair, though, the screeching of tires does seem to... Um, yeah, they make the sound cue sound aggressive. Like, there's a boom at the end of it. It's, it sounds... Well, the screeching of tires makes it sound like she's not completely in control of her vehicle when she, yeah. you know, jumps a sidewalk to run something over. Right. Look, I'm just trying to set up that maybe this is an unreasonable reaction. Yeah, I, yeah. We'll get there. Yes, I'm sure if so. I can build a case. <laughs> so, um, Julia says, I am part of the moral majority of this country who knows that this kind of enterprise exists, but doesn't care to have it shoved in my own face on my own street. Thank you very much much and she sounds positively republican she really does which is very it's odd very because she strange. is a very staunch liberal yeah you saying that at the beginning of the episode i was like well i okay. mean there are there are there's a whole thing where she like goes to fundraisers for bill clinton and yeah. i mean it's like a it's a hallmark of the series well, this but. is the, it's really stunning then. I mean, she uses, she invokes the silent majority. Yeah, she says silent majority of people who won't put up with this trash. And it is very much, you know, the the basic, uh, without getting into the the, all of it, the, the Southern strategy of the Republicans, which was to build a moral outrage center 
as the Republican Party to get Southern votes. Right. It's it's, it's faith based uh, faith based this morality that it's it's you know politics based on your outrage. Yes, but the interesting thing about this, the way this episode treats it, is that it has got nothing to do with faith or religion or morality. It's feminism it's, that she yes. thinks that she thinks is the that this is degrading to women. As a feminist, she can't stand for right. it. Her argument's going to unfold over time. So yep. I think let's let's get into the specifics as we move along because it's just there's just a lot. But the yeah. first thing. Uh, somebody, uh, the newsstand guy asks what makes her an authority. And she, she says, uh, she, she, uh, on pornography, she says, I know it when I run over it, which is a, a paraphrasing of Justice Potter Stewart's obscenity threshold test. Yes. In the 1964 Supreme Court case of mm. Jack Avellis versus Ohio, in which the Supreme Court argued uh, it was about the right of a movie theater owner to show a controversial movie. The court was split on whether the First Amendment of the Constitution, the right to free speech, covers obscenity. The Supreme Court wouldn't make a clear decision on this point until Miller versus California in 1973, which Mm. we'll talk more about later. But this is the famous... uh, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Exactly. This is... this is not a way to make a law. Like, this is also not something but, to to focus on. This right. is the well, here's the, the majority opinion, yeah. But this is the thing. No, well, the court was completely split. Well, then, yeah, so, you don't quote anybody from that, and you certainly don't like hang your hat on something one of the justices exactly. said. The, at this point, for me, Chelsea, watching this in 2020, I was like, "Is this just my?" modern understanding or is this supposed to be a sticky wicket even then because this episode is written by a a woman on a show created by a woman and all of the main characters are women and then you'll see later that not everyone agrees with julian even in even in her inner circle Mm -hmm. but I was kind of like, oh, I'm not used to disagreeing with Julia Sugarbaker. This is going to be a weird one for it's, me. It's a very strange. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. It also seems to straddle a line between freedom and censorship. That's the thing is, most of the time when you have an artist preaching about censorship, they're on the anti censorship yeah, side is, of it. You don't see this happen, and and you keep expecting a comeuppance of a sort. Yeah. And, and they keep setting up things that it's like, well, here's where the comeuppance will up come from. Right. Here's where she realized she's been extreme or she's gone about this the wrong way, yeah. or that there are shades to this nope. issue. It's not all or nothing. She no. is she is staunch until the end Spoiler and the alert. audience is on her side. Yep. Yeah. So now we are in the special world of Sugar Baker Vigilante censorship. We cross the first threshold and we go back to the design firm. Charlene announces that the damages and the fine incurred by this running over of the poster come to six hundred and four dollars. Did we look up how much that is in today's money? I did not. $10 million. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, (laughs) Julia says it was worth it. But Charlene says if Julia does this every day, it's going to come out to over $3,000 a week. And she says, I don't mean to criticize you, but that is going to look kind of weird on the quarterly report. Yeah. And she recommends, what's the thing that she recommends? Why don't you spend your $3,000 on this instead? Oh, Suzanne says with that kind of money, you could go out and buy yourself a real nice outfit. There you go. And then I she thought says, this was hilarious. She says, I find it hard to be worked up about injustice when I know I look real good. Yep. <laughs> Which is, Suzanne is just Delta Burke. 
it's perfect. Every yeah. everything out of her mouth is like I get it. Like I remember the the Delta Burke hype from from being a child and not yeah. giving a shit because uh, she wasn't on GI Joe at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this lives up to it. She's really amazing on this. It's and it's also good to have a person who it it doesn't let us ever get too precious about this particular brand of feminism in this episode, right? Until actually Until there is a point and does. Precious. But everything she says is like. But also, I was a beauty queen, remember? Right. So, now we're in the majority of the storytelling, the tests, allies, and enemies portion. Did we just become best friends? Bitch, please. <laughs> Bitch, please, on our episode about feminism. And now someone is gonna invoke the First Amendment. This and I is, feel like we need to stop and talk about what it let's is. Let's do that, because we are getting into the, the, the thicket. Yeah. Julia says she is annoyed that the newsstand owner said that the poster is protected by the First Amendment. She says that argument is wearing thin with her. When the forefathers were fighting and dying at Valley Forge, she knows they weren't doing it to protect a publication called Hot Tushies. The studio audience in this moment seems to be split on whether they support this position. Because there's a definite smattering of applause. It's going to take them a while to get on Julia's side. She'll win them over. But in this moment, there's a single minute she will. Real hesitant. like... But I like Hot Tushy magazine. Right. So let's Wait, talk am about- I clapping for Hot Tushy magazine? <laughs> I'll clap for Hot Tushy or- magazine. All right, Hot Tushy magazine. All right, so let's talk about the First Amendment. Let's. So as we, uh, we the reason I wanted to do this episode is because we just did um, Case of Overexposure, the Different Strokes episode. We talked mm-hmm. a little bit about the First Amendment and pornography. Right. And so this is a deep bit of a deeper dive into that not concerning children. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, yeah, I kept thinking about that as I was watching this episode. I was yeah. like, there's outrage. It just, right. it's fine. It's, so, it feels like the outrage should be swapped right. from this episode to that one. So the amendments to the Constitution are kind of notoriously umbrellas. They cover mm. a lot of things. The First Amendment covers Congress may not establish a religion. Um, you're free to practice any religion you want. We have freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Also, the right to assemble and the right to petition the government. These are the things protected by the First Amendment. What this newsstand owner specifically is invoking is some combination of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. The things that the First Amendment does not protect, sorry, uh, young, butthurt Nazis on the Internet, does not (laughs) does not protect. You think they're listening? (laughs) Yeah. Does not protect hate speech. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does not protect uh, speech that incites violence does not protect uh, speech that supports terrorism, does not protect the speech of public employees, May meaning if you work for the sheriff's office and you say something racist, the sheriff's office can and will fire you yeah, probably. Sure. Um, does not protect defamation, meaning you can't lie about a person or a company and mm-hmm. expect that to be protected under freedom of speech. Right. It does not protect intellectual property. So if you publish trade secrets or copyrighted material, th- that's not yours. That is not protected. Right. It does not protect true threats, which is kind of a sticky wicket, but because they have to take into account t- context, target, and intent. Right. This is the Alex Jones uh, right. argument that's been going on and on. And I think it's fallen on the side of, hey, Alex Jones, please stop that. Yeah. So anything that is determined to be a true threat is not protected by freedom of speech. Right. So those are the things not protected by freedom of speech. It also mostly means 
it regulates what the government can do to you. It doesn't mean that you can't be fired from your job with a private employer if you say something hateful to another employee. Yes. Um, that is not covered under and the First Amendment. Further, uh, what people do seem to, to forget is that the, the First Amendment shouldn't be used as a form of commercial reprimand. Yes. You are the form of commercial reprimand. Exactly. If you do not like a thing, do not buy that thing. Exactly. The one thing about capitalism, if it if it ever works, is that the things that get the most money will continue. Right. So if your favorite reality TV star says something terrible about gay marriage, mm-hmm. you have every right to stop watching that show. Yes. They can say what they are, whatever they want to say. Absolutely. However, they also are the employer of a private corporation who, who can, can fire, fire them. them. That is our understanding of the First Amendment. Let's move forward in this episode. We can already punch one of these things in the face. Right. Julius Our said. first founders <laughs> meant. Yeah. The first founder or first uh, founding fathers uh, or, you know, yeah. the first, what is the other term? Founding, anyway, f- our founding fathers in didn't. The framers. The, the framers, framers of, of the, the Constitution. Constitution didn't intend anything to apply to today. They made laws based on John Mulaney just did his SNL monologue about this where he's like, all right, we got freedom of religion, stress. What's next? Guns. I want a lot of guns. Oh, okay. That's that's fine. Let's do that. No soldiers can stay at my house. All right, man. It sounds like you're working through some stuff here. It is. That Third Amendment is the, the you can't be, uh, soldiers can't quarter your, your, your house. You yeah. can't, you aren't forced to allow soldiers to live in your house, which has not come up. No. That's again think... like the American Revolution was six months ago. So let's put this in here because we didn't like well, that when that That was happened. awful. Remember that? Yeah. But the, the, I think the wisdom behind the Constitution was that it's a changeable document. Yeah, it's supposed to be a living document. I once heard a person, a constitutional lawyer, describe it as a framework for discussion. Yeah. Meaning these are the rules that we discuss things as they come up because these by. Are, yeah. Because not like this is the the Bible that we adhere to that and every word is sacred. So uh, that that's uh, Julia's Our Founding Fathers argument. Then Charlie quickly kink shames foot fetishists. Sorry out there, foot fetishists. She does, but then she immediately... It's a weird kink shame because she says, I can't, I can't believe there's a magazine out there just for feet. If a person liked that, they could just get a shoe catalog. So it's kind of like a oh. gentle kink shame because she says, if a person liked that, they oh, could do Oh, she's also like helping viewers it's at thrifty. home. They're yeah. like, what have I been doing? Uh, Jerry, you moron. Exactly. Just get, you just a, get catalog. a shoe catalog. Yes. Yeah, so Julia says, now that newsstand owner knows that I mean business. Yes, it was yeah. expensive for me uh-huh. to run over the sign, but he can't afford to close his stand every day either. Yeah. So it will be more expensive for him to put another sign back up knowing that I will run over it again and he'll have to close again tomorrow. So I doubt that he will. That's just terrorism. (laughs) That's just, that's just terrorism. And that's what it will be called later in the episode. Rightfully so. That's, that is uh, intimidating an owner of a business establishment to stop uh, doing their business. Also through property destruction, uh, not to pigeonhole Republicans, but they do fit nicely in a hole made for a pigeon. Um, (laughs) it's also this concept uh, under capitalism where if you are rich enough, the law is just a suggestion to yep. you. Yep, I'll just pay this fine every day. Yeah. 
I oh, mean, uh, I think uh, Elon Musk uh, recently racked up uh, $10,000 in annual parking tickets because he just parks wherever he wants. And that's nothing. That guy makes $10,000 right. in a second. So Julia uh, says, I doubt he's going to put that sign back up because he knows I'm going to run over it again. And Mary Jo says... I hate to say this, and you know I hate that poster as much as you do, Mm -hmm. but what you're talking about is censorship. And I was like, finally, okay, we're going to get some back and forth. Mary Jo's pragmatism will prevail, as it does in some episodes. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. Unfortunately. (laughs) We get the most offensive argument of the show, as far as I... Well, there's two that really don't feel great. Uh, So, go ahead. It's just not nuanced. It's it's a thing that sounds good on the surface, and And then you think about it for a second. And you're like, no, those two things are not equivalent. So what Julia says is, because remember this poster is a woman wearing uh, uh, chains and a dog collar. Mm -hmm. Julia says, do you believe anyone has the right to show a woman chained up like a dog? You couldn't do that with a photo of a black man because it would be considered incendiary speech. So why should we demand any less for women? Now, incendiary speech is not covered by the First Amendment. Absolutely. That is speech that is meant to incite a riot or incite conflict. Yeah. So she is saying that this is equivalent to that because... um, women are protected should be a, like a protected class the way that racial minorities are right. however this is a false equivalency it's very false equivalency because a man a black man in chains would evoke slavery yeah. it would it would evoke a non-consensual uh just travesty of american history even right. if that model on that day consented to be photographed in that way it would be evoking someone who had a lack of consent yes throughout exactly yeah and this woman dressed up in what sounds like bdsm gear Mm -hmm. it doesn't evoke a lack of consent in the same way to my mind no you may not agree with it but there are plenty of people that engage in that kind of sexual activity perfectly willingly and enthusiastically and that's what it's meant to invoke exactly to 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 that extent even even, you know, even a role play that takes on an even darker tone. If there is consent in it, it's not something you can just dismiss as like, well, this is going to make everybody do this. Right. And she isn't saying if it were a black man dressed up in BDSM gear. She's yeah. saying that she She's doesn't saying, say the word slavery, but that's what she means. That is what she means. And the audience goes for it. They fucking go wild. And I'm disappointed in you, audience. It's 1989, but you guys need to grow up. <laughs> she says, uh, Julia says, the First Amendment was designed to protect political speech and everybody knows it. Yeah. And I want to be like, there's a lot more in the First Amendment than just political well, speech. They're about to get into a much larger discussion, but then Julia censors the conversation by switching topics. Yes. We got to check in on our B plot and yeah. those exams. And so Anthony... <laughs> Anthony's still wired. <laughs> Anthony's wired. And he's talking about, ah, he's going to take the exams. He's going to be the best. going to get the best grades. Yeah. And Julia says, what's wrong with your eyes? And Suzanne says, and I knew you would love this. Yep. He's starting to look like Nancy Reagan. Yes. So Suzanne says, I got through college without stimulants. I kept up my grades and maintained a very active social life. And let me tell you, those were six and a half of the best years of my life. Fantastic. Which is so good because you think she's about to do the thing where she rags on Anthony. And then she turns it around and becomes an unwitting joke on herself. And the crowd goes wild. So next up, there is a reasoned enough discussion on censorship via censorship, yes. uh, protestation via censorship, and 
it's almost... It doesn't fit what's happening in this episode. It's a good enough argument on its own. Yeah. But But it also doesn't matter because it's interrupted by Julia crashing into the poster. Yeah, basically Charlene and Mary Jo, the next morning, Charlene and Mary Jo discussing this, what's going on. They bring up some censorship stuff that's been happening in the news Uh recently. And, um... Charlene says you can't censor since you can't fight censorship with censorship basically. And that she thinks basically she thinks Julia is going too far with all this and she doesn't like the poster either, but this is not the way to go about it. It doesn't sit right with her. And then of course the next thing we hear is the screech of the sugar baker mobile delivering fiery justice outside Mm -hmm. justice per Julia. Is Anthony in the car with her when she does this? Yes. Well then look there. (laughs) You want to talk about consent (laughs) and endangerment. Yes. Then maybe don't crash your car with somebody in the seat without telling them. Without telling them. them. He specifically says, if you're going to do this again, you should tell me before you run up on the sidewalk. Also, he's on drugs. (laughs) He's on caffeine pills big time. Let me tell you, as somebody who has been on drugs at least once, (laughs) do not do this. So Julia says, is saying calmly to the newspaper man when we get back outside, Mm -hmm. I warned you, if you put that poster back up, I would knock it down again. I warned you. And... Suzanne comes out and is looking around and she says, nice shot, Julia. Your aim's getting better. Totally earnestly, which is pretty funny. Julia takes out her checkbook to write the $604 check and the smug newsman, Twist, takes out a letter from his lawyer and he says, I knew you'd be back and I'm going to sue you for $10 million for violating my civil rights. Boom. What? Whoa. Cut to commercial. Now, something weird happens that is, I feel like we are missing a chunk of text that got edited out that explains how we go from, I'm suing you for violating my civil rights, which was definitely a civil lawsuit, to Julia has been arrested. in jail. And now she has evoked the wrath of the publisher of the magazine, in addition to the independent newspaper man. You, yeah, you are forgetting that she did go to the police station after the first incident. I did not see that scene. There's no scene. It's just discussed. That's where the fine fine comes from. from. It is combined fine plus repayment is the $604. Yes. So, So she has been arrested again. But she's also being sued by the newspaper man and somehow also by the publisher of the magazine who is conveniently located in Atlanta sure. and has in 24 hours found out about this um, yeah. maybe through through the newspaper man it, and it, decided to sue her as well. What they need to do is this woman needs to hear about it. The, uh, the magazine publisher needs to hear about it. And they're in charge of this lawsuit. Like they, yes. they you know, she gets arrested and when she's arrested, finds out yeah. oh, you're being sued. All he needs to say, the newspaper man in that scene, is I called the publisher of the magazine. They're suing you for $10 million. Fantastic. Not me and my lawyer, because then it gets muddy. But And especially because of what comes later. But Yeah, and we never see this fucking lawyer or this guy. No. Mary Jo is sitting in like a little kind of holding cell interrogation room uh-huh. um, that they have Julia in. And Mary Jo has brought an apology letter from the, law, from the sugar baker's lawyer yeah she's like you have to sign this letter that promises that you won't do this again and says you're sorry all you have to do is sign it and the lawsuits will go away and julia says i am not interested in backing down and mary joe is like you know you did something illegal and you are headed for bankruptcy or jail the judge is mad at you and julia says i know it was illegal but i considered an act of civil disobedience it's not mary joe once again says very pragmatically there are other ways for you to express your 
opinion yep. on this point. And Julia says, yeah, I've considered standing next to the newsstand and loudly yelling out what titles people are buying and mm. shaming them publicly, great. which is also not a great look, but is at least legal. Yeah, at least she's not endangering lives. Then you can invoke, you can say, this is my f- right to free speech. Sure. I'm but free then to the, stand here and speak about what you're doing. The, the magazine stand owner can say, this is my, you know, this is the space in which I operate. Please leave. Yeah. And she goes down on the outskirts and do it. Or I don't know, go to the government. You yeah. know, just fucking. Write a letter to the editor of the newspaper. How about like, it? Whatever. So Mary Jo says, I hate to be a drag. But if you keep this up, bankruptcy, prison. And Julia says, well, fine. I can't think of a better cause to go out on. Ominous music, no laugh track. Yeah. And that's that. I can't think of a better cause to go out on. She gets the last word. Like, Mary Jo makes pragmatic points all through this episode, but Julia always gets the last word. Yeah. And it's not... It's not working. You can't say, how are you going to handle this? By being stubborn. And people aren't going to applaud. That's just nonsense. Anyway, so we're back at the house... And we're having another Julia sure is stubborn conversation. Yeah. Suzanne is like, yeah, Julia was always like this, even as a little girl. When she gets her teeth into something, she does not let go. Mm. Anthony points out, uh, with all the mention that's made of my unfortunate incarceration, you four ladies spend an awful lot of time at the police station. Yeah. Just a thought. Walks out on that. On his way out the door. Yep. (laughs) Charlene is worried that Julia has gone too far this time. Uh And Suzanne, this uh, this is an interesting shade of the Suzanne Julia relationship that Julia often pontificates. What do you mean by shade? I mean, it's like a flavor of their relationship. Flavor? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. What's a another word? A facet of their relationship. Faucet? Nope. Facet. Julia often pontificates. She has uh, big opinions about something that someone is doing or something an organization is doing. And she stands in the middle of Sugar Baker and Associates and she holds court. Sure. Suzanne, as the former beauty queen who's been married 95 times, mm-hmm. is much more of a let me go in person to person and try to charm this yeah, person who's doing something. But with the same level of conviction about yes. her approach, so, which is what makes it good. It's not like, oh, I'm going to have to be sneaky. She's like, this works. This is how I do this. Yeah. So Suzanne says, all right, Julie's in jail, so we're going to handle this my way. Mm. We're going to go on down to Man About Town magazine, conveniently located also in Atlanta, yeah, and speak to the head guy and say... You know, we're just as sorry as we can be. Julia just goes off the deep end sometime. We're going to beg for mercy. And Charlene says, I'm not sure about begging. And Suzanne is like, oh, it works. All my ex-husbands did it. Yeah. Uh, And she's like, and I was into it. Yeah. She's like, it works on me. So so they leave. Um, And now we are approaching the inmost cave. I may not come out alive, but I'm gone in there. The inmost porn office. <laughs> the inmost man about town cave. Is that what it's called? Yes. Oh boy, that's the one that's doing man about town is doing a full BDSM. I know, spread. right? That sounds like you a, gotta, that's not mm-mm. man about town. Sounds very sort of like either it's all office porn. It's like yeah. your secretary, or it's like some weird Great Gatsby t- Roaring Twenties throwback Mad About Town Art Deco it's weirdness. Me, Mad About Town. Yeah. I'm gonna lift up my skirt a little bit more. I'm wearing a full bathing suit that goes past my knees. So Suzanne and Charlene go down to these offices and we assume <laughs> they're gonna be talking to a man because they say we're gonna wait for Terry Wilder who's the person in charge of Man About Town magazine. Right. Suzanne says she is confident 
that a man who publishes a porno mag will be susceptible to her charms. Sure. And she's going to hit him with both barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, like, adjusts her shoulder pads and bra. Um, Suz- uh, Suzanne... Both barrels meaning her shoulders, of course. Yeah, her shoulders. So, uh, Suzanne says a woman comes in with a very strange neckline on her outfit. <laughs> Yeah. And Suzanne uh, says, oh, yes, she assumes this person is the secretary. And she says, we're here about my sister, Julia Sugarbaker. And then the woman who has entered sits down behind the desk and says, ah, yes, the woman who's trying to halt distribution of my magazine bum, through bum. illegal terrorist tactics. Exactly. So this is Man About Town magazine's head person, Terry Wilder. But Chelsea, it's a, it's w- a woman, w- w- woman who can't speak above a whisper. Oh, she does. She's this a little This actress quiet. is like, I am like. The person that you need here is like a Kathleen Turner type. You do. The per- you, need you need a husky Burstyn. voice. No, no, that's not who I'm thinking. Linebacker-shaped of. woman, or just like a woman who sits confidently in her power. You know who would be great at this is God. Kristen Johnson's the woman from Third Rock from the Sun. Yes. Yeah, she'd be perfect. Uh, what is the all right? There's the old woman who is in the Blossom pilot, but then never seen again. It's not Ellen Burstyn. Oh yeah. Oh yes. You need a woman who feels like she's had power for a while. And Eileen secure- Brennan. Eileen Brennan. You need Eileen Brennan up You need in this a woman piece. who who feels like she's has had power for a while. Yeah. Like a Christy Hefner type. Make sure her name is Christy. Uh, Hugh Hefner's daughter that took over the magazine. Sure. Um, from 1988 to 2009. So, it's not bad casting on their part, but this woman plays it real like... I don't believe she's a businesswoman of any kind. No, she plays a real disaffected, which is just she's, not, She speaks not, like this, and she stares I'm into the middle woman. distance. Yeah. And it's just like, no, no, no. This is not... The babysitter somehow got to be in charge of the magazine. It just Yeah, it would be so much more nuanced if they had... Yeah, Julia yeah, needs a formidable opponent. And this isn't it. This woman is... In the end, when they come... When they just start... Uh, duking it out woman yeah. to woman verbally i'm like julia's gonna destroy this woman yeah. i don't think There's... for a moment this woman can hold her own and there is a line that uh, uh the terry is her name uh this character has where she's like we're both business women let's leave it at that yeah. that should be a more impactful line but instead of and i'm like, like there's cowardice. nothing in your briefcase no. is there terry there's not. nothing in there it's like some cotton balls some blush so so she does call Julia a terrorist, though. Or she says she's using terrorist, terrorist tactics. tactics. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, and there's a weird turn, and Suzanne doesn't want to apologize or beg anymore. Real weird. She says, the fact that you're a woman makes me madder than ever. And I'm like, wait, what? You weren't mad before. Now you're mad. Why? Because you think women exploiting women is bad, but men exploiting women is just the way of the world? Yeah. And then I was like, actually, yeah, that sounds exactly like Suzanne's philosophy. It does, but it's not explained well enough. She's just like, since you're a woman, I'm not going to apologize. She just, she says the word feminism and moves on. Yeah, it's very strange because I I was like, oh, so you assumed a man was publishing this and you weren't mad, but now Mm. you find out it's a woman and you're mad. Um, And Terry Wilder says, pretty astutely. Yeah. Has your sister read my magazine? And they're like, no, of course not. Yeah. She says, I find it incredible that some people want to censor things they haven't read. How about it? Which is a good point. And um, at this point, I wrote, wait, so the magazine is suing her? I thought the newsman was suing her. This uh, is confusing yeah, me. Yeah, that's... that's. Um, yeah. So Suzanne says, let's face it, honey. You could publish the private diaries of Dan Quayle in there and nobody's going to read it, which is a good joke. It's- it, for the time, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and Terry Wilder says... 
It's not productive for us to argue about the merits of the magazine. You don't think it has any merits. Some people do. That's not what this case is about. The lawsuit is about my right to print what I want and distribute it freely. Yes. That should be the end of the that episode. That should be the end of this. Well, it should at least be the end of this conversation. But then they pad it by her saying, almost apologetically, I also contribute to feminist causes. Yeah. She's like, I'm not- a feminist. I, yeah. you know, my magazine contributes to the National Organization for Women, which is, you got it. You can't give Suzanne am- ammunition like that yeah. because she immediately fires back. I give to the Humane Society, but that doesn't make me a cat. Lord, does Sick the audience. sugar burn. Doesn't this audience love that line? Oh my God. That is Sick like. sugar burn. Yeah. <laughs> they love it. Charlene says that Julia isn't sorry and she'll probably run over the poster again. But what about Julia's freedom of speech? She didn't have a say in whether or not that poster went up on her street. Maybe that's why she's so mad. Don't you think she deserves to be heard? And Terry says, I'll think about it. No, don't, Terry. She... Don't, Terry. Don't don't think about it, Terry. You don't need to. It's not on you. It's on Julia to use constructive means to have her voice heard instead of using her frustration as an excuse to endanger lives and ruin property. Yeah, also, like... A business owner doesn't have to consult everybody on the street every Mm-mm. time they put up a poster. They often do. They often, well, I mean, that business came there on their street, and usually people are, are I'm notified every time they build something anywhere near me. No, just to put up a poster. I, mean. I understand that, but I'm saying the news, the newsstand uh, came there. Anyway. Yeah, but th- that would be nice, but they aren't required to not do that. Not at all. And also, you see that, and then you're like, great. What, what tools are at my disposal? Yeah. I can write a letter to the editor. I can try to get like the homeowners association in this neighborhood mad about this. Right. I can go to the man directly and say, how much do you want to be paid to advertise something else? You know, like sure. I have any number of resources. She didn't exercise her freedom of speech in any way. She didn't even try. Those are all exercises of freedom of speech. Right. She went straight to running over the thing. Here's my least favorite part of this episode is they're on their way out and Mary Jo, is it? Uh, Annie Potts? Annie, yeah. Yeah. Annie Potts says to uh, Terry, uh, if you support pornography, then why aren't you posing for pornography? And it's such a slam dunk. Yeah. She's like, if you are think it's so peachy keen, how come we don't see you airbrushed and spread eagled in a centerfold? And okay. the audience loves this. Charlene doubles over. Oh, this is Suzanne. This is not Mary Jo. Mary Jo is not. Oh, Suzanne says it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, which is, I guess, an interesting art argument but like Hugh Hefner was also never in a centerfold in Playboy (laughs) it's also got nothing to do with anything it's just it's just like cool what an interesting point well I think it goes back to her sort of like women exploiting women thing makes her mad fantastic like if you were a male publisher I would understand this but if you're a woman to do this to other women you should do it yourself or something sure so now it's time for the supreme ordeal yeah who will stop me Is that Julia saying that? Who will stop me? <laughs> Julia Sugarbaker! <laughs> Back to the police station. Mm-hmm. Terry Wilder shows up to speak with Julia. Showdown with the shadow. They're both in this little interrogation yep. room. They're on either side of the cold metal table. Yep. And Terry says, I dropped the lawsuit, but I did have you checked out. You're a very tough lady, and I like that. You made a mistake, but I think you've been punished enough. And I'm like, uh. what? What? Yeah. Why? What happened in that last scene? the episode's scene almost over. That made <laughs> you really change it. your mind. Like, what? which of those sugar burns made you change your mind? Sugar burns. 
sentence. And say, I'm going to drop the lawsuit. If anything, I'd be madder. I would, too. Yeah. I would, I would, if I were her, think of some sort of sitcom-like punishment where she has to work on the magazine. Like, she, she has to write an article about something that has to be featured in the magazine. Like, one of those ironical punishments. She has I've to be hired the, you to, your firm, to design our new office space. I've hired you, Julia Sugarbaker, to walk up and down this street with the poster as like a, you know, wearing the poster. Something, yeah, something. But there's know. none of that. She just says, I dropped the lawsuit. Um, and Julia's like, thanks, I'm going to be a big shithead about yeah. it. Yeah, and, and, and Terry says, this is still America, and free speech will always be protected in this country. And now <sighs> Julia begins the pontification. This is a I'm just going to read out what she says, because there's no way to paraphrase it. <laughs> Julia says, in America, Miles, just put like some little, some sort of music under this. In America, we will let the Nazis speak. Can I make a suggestion that it's James Brown's coming to America? James Brown's coming to America? Yeah, not Neil Diamond's coming to America. Not oh, living in America. America. Okay, but now that we're talking about it, make it Neil Diamond's coming to America. (laughs) (laughs) Julia says. In America, we will let the Nazis speak, and we will let the KKK speak, because as despicable as they are, they are speaking their mind. But pornography is not you speaking your mind. You'd shut it down tomorrow if it didn't turn profit. Pornography is not free speech, it's commerce. Otherwise, you couldn't zone it out of certain nice areas of the city. So, this is an argument that has not been made yet. The idea that, like, pornography isn't free speech because it isn't someone just freely speaking their mind, it is meant to earn money. Sure. Um, Off, in Julia's opinion, the exploitation of women. Terry says, We're both businesswomen. Let's just leave it at that. I won't bother you, and you won't bother me. And Julia says, That's not right. You bother me very much. Shame on you for calling yourself a feminist. Shame on you for demeaning and hurting women everywhere, all for a lousy nickel. Julia says that one day the laws will change and will zone you right off the globe. And the audience loves yeah. this. And I'm like, can we get Mary Jo back in here for yeah. a minute or something? Do you want to have any sort of like, retort I, to this? I, it is not entirely, it is not accurate to say that the production of pornography, especially nowadays, has no effect on women. That is not true. Right. Um, and I have like a few little stats to talk about. But the idea that censorship is the way to deal with everything you don't agree with mm-hmm. and the way that the way that you get to be the feminist police and tell yeah. other self-identified feminists that they're doing it wrong. Sure. Not only doing it wrong, but are worse than Nazis and the KKK. I can't clap for this. Yeah. I can't get on board with this. There it's... are very few times in my life when I've not been on board with whatever Julia Baker, Julia Sugarbaker is selling. Right. But this is one of them. Like, I just can't clap for this. It's just, but it's misguided, but it's based on its time period. 1989, yeah. this is like the big argument. We're about to get into the record censorship uh, with uh, yeah, but Tipper like, Gore and everything. Yeah, but normally women are on, I mean, not women, normally artists are on the other side of this I argument. Um, so Terry Wilder inexplicably feels she's beaten by this logic, even though she holds literally all of the cards. And could just be like, you know what, I am going to sue you. Then. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but she she just silently picks up her briefcase and leaves, and we assume because Julia picks up her purse that she is going to walk free now too, 
the audience claps a lot. This is the reward consequences. You know, she's going to go free mm-hmm. based on the power of, I don't know, shaming this other woman about her so. feminism. Yeah. So now we are going back to uh, return with the elixir, heal the community. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. With porn. <laughs> so we're back at Sugar Baker and Associates, and the the women say the poster has gone back up, and this one's even worse. Julia's not in the house. Everyone else is talking about there's sure. a new poster. Mm-hmm. And Mary Jo says, well, at least the lawsuit's been dropped. They all assume that Julia will be in a terrible mood when she arrives because of this new poster going up. This is also when Charlene and, and Suzanne reveal that they are the ones that made Terry Wilder change her mind to go talk right. to Julia. Mary Jo is impressed with this then we get this weird moment this is a strange argument to make so charlene who's sort of like the rose of this group she's Mm -hmm. kind of like naive and she's constantly trying to work through things right she says so what i don't understand is they can't make rules about pornography because they can't define what it is and mary joe says yes that's the reasoning and charlene says well then how come the guy at the kitten cat movie theater knows exactly which movies to show and the guy at the triple x bookstore knows which titles to stock anyone out there can figure out what pornography is why don't they just if they can't figure it out why don't they talk to those two guys and mary joe says there are only nine people in america who don't know what pornography is the problem is they're all on the supreme court this is nonsense it's just a long joke it's a long joke sure but it's also this uh, what's become increasingly popular today is um completely uh, purposefully misunderstanding a concept and then arguing based on that misunderstanding. The the idea that the Supreme court can't define pornography is not the idea. That's, it was an obscenity test. It was what is not right for society. Yeah. It's, it's also not the pornography was defined in a 1973 case Miller versus California. mm -hmm. What, what the problem is, is that Supreme Court can't decide when and when not to censor it. Yeah. That's where the muddiness is, not the definition of it. What she's saying is no one knows what it is. Not true. Right. Everyone can agree on what it is. And if you can't, we have a three-pronged test for you to take called the Miller test. Sure. But the what this episode deals with is whether or not we're allowed to censor it. So uh, this whole long joke feels to me that someone in the writer's room was like, no, but I have this thing. Charlie yeah, needs right. to have this moment. And other people were like, well, I guess stick it at the end because it sure. doesn't actually make sense. And let's cut it off with a, a, a sound gag as well. Right. So, of <clears throat> course, the next thing we hear, well, is the screech of the Julia running over the sign outside because Suzanne has just said the only thing Julia hates more than losing is giving up. And so then we hear this, this her run over the new sign. And I was yep. like... Really? Really? This is, it's just so... Because this would be a great, this this moment would be great for Mary Jo to get to say like, yeah, sometimes we hate things, but it doesn't give you the right to destroy them. It would be great. Or, or you know what? You really want your characters to shine? Figure out something else that Julia could do. Right. Like or she comes she... in and says, I did this and it helped. Yes. Here are the things she could have done. Okay. She could have had a bus bench installed directly in front of that poster with a sugar baker and associates ad on it. Sure. She could have, uh, come from a town hall meeting or a zoning committee meeting, or she could have said, I filed a formal grievance with such and such or anything. This just reeks of angry 
futility. The yeah. idea that like I don't care if the law says this. I don't care if capitalism I'm, says this. I've gone out to to petition this so-called silent majority to raise our voices, and we'll exactly. stop this eventually if enough people agree with me. Yeah, don't. or maybe she, there's a town hall meeting, a la the um the the hard hats and lovers episode we covered. Yeah. Suddenly the house is full of people. It's all the other people that live in the neighborhood. They're all signing a petition. Anything. I would really like it though. If she invited all of the people who buy pornography over for donuts and it's just a bunch of skeezy dudes. (laughs) I was told there'd be donuts here. (laughs) So when does the show start? That's the end of it. They go back out to the newsstand and they're giving her name to the guy again. And I'm like, why did we even do the, we're going to zone you off the planet speech? Yeah, if you're if just going to keep gonna doing this. like this. Also, does that mean the lawsuit's back on? Are you bankrupt now? Exactly, because if I'm Terry Wilder, what, am I going to shrug and be like, oh, that she Julia. She did make me feel bad. <laughs> so right. I guess I'm powerless. So that's where the episode ends. Yep. Um, okay, so in order to discuss this episode, which we've, we've done a lot of this already, but yeah. in order to wrap this up, I feel like we have to talk about it in 1989 terms which means pornography there's no such thing as the internet so no such thing as internet pornography also pornography as we're discussing it here is performed by consenting compensated adults we're not talking about trafficking we're not talking about child pornography we're not talking about revenge porn we're not talking about all of the other shades of this which are uh, illegal or non-consensual there was a supreme court case decided in 1973 Miller versus California which gave us the three prong prong test whereby the courts established whether or not something some piece of media is pornographic not whether it's legal or illegal just whether or not it's pornographic and the test is actually designed to limit the censorship powers of the states because different states regulate porn differently right. so this is the federal government being like okay if you're going to regulate something based on pornographic restrictions you must decide first One, whether the average person applying what are called community standards would find that the work appeals to the prurient interest, meaning prurient meaning like meant to invoke desire. Two, whether the work depicts or describes in an offensive way sexual conduct or excretory functions as specifically defined by applicable law. And three, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. And I think the third one is really the the true litmus test. You look at a piece of media and you say, does this have any literary, artistic, political, or scientific value? And if the answer is no, this is just meant to encourage people to jack off, uh-huh. then it is pornography. And in the years since this Supreme Court uh, ruling, many localities have cracked down on adult theaters and bookstores, as well as new dancing establishments. And they've done this through zoning ordinances. Mm -hmm. This is how they crack down on these things. The community standards portion of decision is particularly kind of non-enforceable based on the rise of the internet, because materials believed to be obscene in one place can be accessed from anywhere, including places where there is greater concern about obscenity than the place where they're produced. So enforcing and applying obscenity laws to the internet have, has proven pretty much impossible. Sure. There is an increased movement toward what's called ethical pornography, which is linked to it's, it's quite, quite frankly, a lot of it is about both the working conditions of the Mm -hmm. people making it and also what is eroticized. So ethical pornography indicates that participants have been 
uh, have consented and been compensated for their involvement. Mm -hmm. It is ethically distributed. People consent to its viewing and that it eroticizes things like consent, respect, and intimacy rather than hostility and abuse. So this very interesting thing I found was that the best way to, to deal with pornography, if you really object to it, is to talk about it as part of sex education in schools. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the things that you're um, – it's not like these stats are happening in a vacuum. I think what you said before about the lack of sex education in America goes hand-in-hand hand with these stats. It's – if you can't you're – not, you're not doing anything to combat it. You're not doing anything to, like, disavow – Disavow people of the idea that pornography depicts real life relationships yeah. instead of, you know, what it is, which is not. Right. And there are school curricula that exist sure. that you can incorporate. And uh, this article said that parents may worry that teaching pornography, teaching school children about pornography will encourage them to seek it out for the first time. But there is no sign that this actually happens. And curricula on pornography teach young people to respond more critically, helping them assess pornography's influence such efforts do work the more a young person has learned about the use of pornography from sex education the less likely they are to see other people as sex objects mm. so this is the opposite of censorship right this yeah. is open communication about the thing that you're worried about and in as in most um as in most cases when we talk about these very special episodes making something out to be a boogeyman mm. and and laying at its feet all kinds of terrible accusations without even going into any shade of what it is yeah. is not like fear mongering or in this case outrage mongering mm -hmm. doesn't help correct the problem in any measurable no, way. It, if anything, it shuts down that sort of intelligent discourse about it, which, you know, just isolates people from the, the, the purpose of, you know, understanding does that make any sense? No, it that makes sentence, total sense. I feel like there's a better, there's a hundred better ways to say that sentence. I'm saying that censorship shuts down a conversation. If you shut down a conversation while the person who is censoring will feel morally superior, you are also, you know, disenfranchising everyone on every other side of the argument. Yeah. It, there's also this idea of like, <clears throat> well, if we don't talk about it, it will go away. That's ridiculous. Which um, is not ever how anything has ever worked i mean and and provably so abstinence uh, you know places with abstinence only education have the highest numbers of teenage pregnancies across the board yeah and abortions so hey if you're anti-abortion you should be donating money to sex education how about that i feel what like we've, we... we've definitely we've covered everything we covered here. everything it's time to wrap this up and say who we'd want to hug and who we'd want to uh who we'd want to hug and who what we learned uh, I I want to hug Suzanne because she seems delightful. Yeah, and, she is delightful. You know, that's it. I want to hug Mary Jo because she's making a lot of salient points Boy, and the audience is not clapping for her. I'd also like to uh, hug Anthony and say his <laughs> name a bunch of times. <laughs> Anthony, it's going to be okay, Anthony. Anthony, it's going to be fine, Anthony. Say by the bell. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, help him get over Remember that time we were addiction. scared before? <laughs> End of thought. <laughs> we were scared. We were driving home. We were so scared. Anyway. Remember that? End of episode. Um, <laughs> we got kidnapped and things. Yada, yada, yada. We're still alive. Um, yeah. Uh, what did I, we learn? I learned about, uh, well, I learned a lot in my research about the Miller test for yeah. determining whether or not something's pornography. And I learned about this idea of teaching about pornography and sex education as a way 
to prepare kids for inevitably encountering it in the world. I never thought about that. I never thought about the idea of like recontextualizing something in a, in a systematic way. Mm. I'm sure that's like a very weird, awkward conversation to have with kids sure. as, as their sex ed teacher, but you, you chose to be the sex ed teacher. So that's, true. that's on you. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of our third season. Believe yes. it or not, we're going out on a, a uh, high amendment filled note. We just wanted to say thank you very much uh, to everybody for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed our third season. We'll be coming back in about a month. Rip roaring into uh, season four with some really good stuff. This season, I feel like we've tackled some super heavy stuff. Yeah. We've had some, obviously, we've had some funny make-em-ups and we've funny had some, uh, sure, 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 some sure. ridiculous antics, but we've really gotten into some super deep territory. So next season, we'll try to get back into punkers because <laughs> we really need to we need to discuss them and figure out where they're coming from. I think we're going to try different formats. I'd like to get into uh, some of these after-school specials. Yeah. Those were huge. If you've never seen them, maybe a lifetime thing or two. Maybe a driver's ed film. Maybe a <laughs> blood on the highway. Murder. Plymouth style. I don't know. Um, there's a really good uh, after school special called The Day My Kid Went Punk. Oh. Yeah, which I really feel like maybe we should have Kylie back uh, to talk about that. Um, and lots of stuff, people. Um, yeah. Uh, so join us next time, uh, next season. Next season. And uh, we will see you then. Yeah, bring snacks. A whole season's worth of snacks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!